It's that time. The bell has rung. Mental punches are about to be thrown. Five, four, three, two, one. Get ready to face off with the strategies and tactics to take on the martial arts of everyday life and win. Welcome to the School of Crazy Monkeys podcast. Here's your hosts, Dr. Rodney King and Aaron Laboutier. So, we are in round two of the School of Crazy Monkey podcast with myself, Rodney King, and Mr. Aaron. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm uh, sitting here with a cup of tea, feeling good. Just finished a good session this morning and feeling energized. A session of what? A session of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with, with white belts and blue belts. Nice. So that's pretty cool. So what are we what are we going to talk about today? I think what we were kind of, you know, suggesting maybe to kind of follow along on what we were talking about last time and go a little bit into learning, performance. How do you gain to be better regardless of what you've decided to do, right? Be that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, stand-up, and possibly even life. Yeah, I mean, I think the first the first topic of teaching and learning is of interest and has been of interest to both of us because of our our pathway in in the world of academia and i i've learned definitely that there is a way to teach and there is a way to learn and i i think the correct term could be the laws of didactic teaching or maybe just the word didactic is enough to summarize but the question for me over the last year or two, as I've been teaching more, is just because you taught me a technique, does that mean I have the ability to then teach that technique to someone else? And you could take that even further and say, just because someone reaches a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or any martial art, does that by default give him or her the ability to pass on that knowledge or just the technique but without any real ability to take it any deeper than just uh this is a triangle and that's the end of the session well there's a couple of things there just while you were saying that i was thinking about so i won't mention names but a very long time ago when i was a blue belt and i was in brazil for the first time I went around to a few academies and I trained at some really great places. I mean, the, the, the instructors, they were nice people. They were really great people were really friendly and accommodating. But I left that experience like probably about, I would say, two weeks in. I was so disheartened with the whole experience because, in essence, I felt like I wasn't learning anything. I was getting my ass kicked all the time. That was quite evident. But I wasn't really learning anything. And my realization was that, just because somebody is a very high level jiu-jitsu competitor and these particular guys were like champions at their time doesn't necessarily equate to their ability to actually coach, to teach somebody else. And I always found it quite interesting is that they would do something and it would be amazing and they'd catch you with it. And then you would ask them immediately afterwards, well, you know, this thing that you just did, how did you do it? And they can't convey it. Well, they couldn't convey it. And so my realization was that, you know, just because you may be good or just like, as you noted, you may be a black belt 
doesn't by default mean that you can actually teach. And if I remember correctly, in the you know, kind of original way of getting a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu back in the day, you just because you had a black belt didn't mean that you were quote unquote a teacher, a professor. You actually had to spend time learning how to do that. So I do think that just because somebody is really good at the game doesn't equal that they could pass that on to somebody else. Okay, so now now you've generated two things in my mind as you were talking. This is a definite ping pong match. Um, so first of all, I remember you showing, um, I forget where it was, one of your seminars, you had someone cross their legs and then the, the person had to try and resist you unfolding their feet and then you elongated and stretched the legs and then you did the same thing and, and the feet became uh, untangled straight away. And it was your way of explaining very visually um, some of the fundamentals of trying to break guard and how strong a person is when their feet are in that position and how weak they are when they're stretched. I, I have shown that to absolutely everybody from white belt all the way up to the new brown belt that, that trains here. And that one thing alone blows people's minds because they've never, ever thought of it like that before. And it's so visual and so easy to understand that, that when you are trying to, to get posture and break guard, that really sticks in your mind. I think that's a great example of being able to teach through uncomplicated analogies and simple little tricks of physics. And that's the first time that I've seen that. And all I know is whenever I show it, people um, may be being blown away is a little bit of an exaggeration. But you know what I mean? They say, wow, you know, that's really interesting. And the second thing is, is that when you said you were a blue belt and someone pulled a technique or a submission on you and then you asked them to explain it and they couldn't for me I see some both positive and negative things there because the positive is sometimes when you're in 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 let's call it flow and you're completely switched off and I've experienced it a lot the last few months things have happened and I've said to my partner afterwards I wish I knew what I did there I really wish that I could tell you that I set that up and that I went through it methodically because it would be a lie. It just, everything was so, but, but in saying that, I'm also able to take a pretty robust guess at what things were in place for it to happen. I mean, I know that much, but I wouldn't be able to necessarily reverse engineer it and strip it down to its bare essentials and sometimes that's good right because that's showing that your body is acting instinctively and you're not kind of like cogs in a machine just going okay step one but the foot on the hip with no realization that maybe it might not be a good time to put your foot on the hip because the angle is wrong you're just going through the techniques blindly one, two, three, failure. One, two, three, failure. So there's no, there's no creativity on that, that step one to step two. Maybe there's some finagling that needs to be done. And I think some people teach it so robotically that it doesn't allow people to accept that fundamentally it's one, two, three, but between one and two, 
there are a million permeations of how to get there. Oh, absolutely. Look, I think it's very nuanced, of course. A couple of things that come to mind there for myself is, in the one sense is that there are, obviously, there's this experience of learning something where you learn through osmosis, right? So just time on the net, so, so to speak, you start developing the game. And that's fine. Um, and, you know, but at the end of the day, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, the onus is on you to ensure that you can impart the correct knowledge to somebody else, right? So it's one thing if you're just a fantastic jiu-jitsu player and you have no intention of teaching, that's fine. But if you have the intention to teach, then that does change the game, so to speak, right? Because you have, you have put yourself in that position where you need to now convey that information to other people. Now, of course, as you noted, there are times when you are rolling and you're in the flow state and you are not focusing on any of that. And it would be very difficult to come back afterwards and say, well, this is exactly what I did. I get that. Right. I think my example of being a blue belt is that I was actually there to learn, not just roll. And I was doing privates with the intention of actually coming out the other side with actually gaining some understanding and greater knowledge of the game. And that didn't happen. And actually that when they taught, it was so disconnected, right? They would like jump all over the place, like in a class, it would be a, an ankle lock and then it would jump to a triangle then it would jump to a choke and nothing was connected and nobody ever showed how do you actually get there? How do you get to the point where you can actually set this up, Right. And so I think for myself, a couple of things that was really important for me was that I don't ever believe and I never was a gifted athlete. I really sucked, man. I was the kind of kid at school that nobody wanted them on their sports team, right? Because that's not bad. <laughs> pick last, pick last. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. And it was true. Like every time there was a picking thing going on, which then gave me trauma about sports, right? Is that I would always be the one of the last kids to be picked because that's how bad I was, Right. And because I think that I was so bad and sucked at it so badly that when I started getting into martial arts, I really wanted to understand what I was doing. I really wanted to be able to know how I got from point A to point B. I mean, I was already making notes at a, as a young teenager, probably around 12 years old. I already had a notebook of just ideas of how to improve my fighting game, right? So... Um, I don't know if there was like the, 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 you know, kind of the writing on the wall of where I was going to go, but I was already kind of thinking about how do you make this better? How do you do this? And even when I went to boxing, right, I think I've told this story before is that I, I mean, I was started boxing. I was with Willie Tawil, who was a bronze medalist uh, in the Helsinki Olympic Games. Great guy. Um, of course, I learned a lot there, but my performance was up and down, right? I'd come in on a Monday, I would spar several people and I would do phenomenally well. And then I'd come back in on Tuesday, spar the exact same people and just get destroyed. And I was like, well, there's no way that people got better in 24 hours like that, right? But my realization was that I never really had a game plan, right? I never had a process, a strategy, you know, tactics that I was applying. And so I was just leaving it up to, to whatever it was on the day. And so on the days when I did really well, everything was clicking in. And when things weren't, they weren't, right? But I wanted more consistency in my performance. That was the key to me. And so that kind of put me on the search. Now, I say that with some, um, what can I say? Like, I don't want to get like overstate that. I don't, like you said, it can be quite, you don't want to get into this robotic stage where basically you're just regurgitating information. Because there's also that side of it too, right? One of the biggest mistakes that I see coaches make is exactly that they teach like robots right it's just a series of techniques 
with again the presumption the pres presumption that the person who was learning this is somehow going to figure out how to pull all of that together and so there is a way i think to achieve success um, in what we're talking about in a much more productive way and but it requires a shift in the way that you view not only yourself but the game itself right and, and i think for a lot of people they come into this and they, they, they get stuck into that hyper-competitive mode, right? Where it's basically, it's all about winning and all about trying to avoid the loss. And I think that's a big, big handicap for a lot of people. And then their ego gets involved in the experience and that becomes something that holds them back from learning. And that's why you can often see people who've been on the mat for several years, but haven't really progressed, right? But they haven't actually improved as much as they should have for the amount of time that they've put on the mat, right? And, I, and I've always used that as an example too. And, and it's not saying that like, like I'm, I'm totally honest when I say I suck as an athlete. I don't think I'm a gifted athlete, but I would often meet people and do pretty well considering that I hardly train anywhere near to what they train. I mean, we're talking about coming up against people who are, you know, several, seven hours a day on the mat, man. If I do seven hours, you know, in, in two weeks, it's a lot, you know? So it's like, but it's not, it's not, I'm not saying that from an ego standpoint. I'm just saying that I think the way that I approach it is very different. And, and I, I mean, there's so many things to talk about here. There's also intention, you know, why are you on the mat? What do you want to achieve out of it? I think that also speaks to the coach as well. What is the coach's intention? What do they want out of it? What do they want to see you gain out of it? All of these things are connected to, to the learning process. Yeah, at, at the moment, I have a handful of white belts that most of it should be blue belts and blue belts that should be purple belts from, I think, three or four different academies that are all down here at the moment, ranging between about 25 years to 40 years of age. Some of them already competing. Some of them have no interest in competing. Some of them have some internal issues that they've already told me about, which is why they're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to try and overcome that. So the point is I have a real mixture of, of people. So how does one find a common, a common thread so that everyone can benefit? Well, I mean, at least I have benefit of teaching before I started coaching in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, right? So, I mean, I have experience in teaching cabin crew, as you know, and been teaching for many years. So I'm lucky in the regard that there's that skill there. But what I've noticed recently is that when you roll and a certain amount of ego and testosterone comes out, if somebody then asks you a question and you answer that question in the same state of mind as you've just been rolling, then maybe the teaching isn't quite as good because you're actually explaining it from a rather not aggressive perspective, but you, you know, you're, you're still pumped and your heart is going and everything else. But when you roll and then you've got time to breathe and just take it easy. And then someone asks you a question and you're able to sit down in a group and just calmly go through exactly what that question was find out from other people in the group what experiences they've had with that particular question, be it a question of defense or a question of attack. Get everyone's perspective. You give your perspective. You give your experience. You share what you believe to be 
true jujitsu in your heart, right? So for me, I'm going to be talking about more the inner game, more of the fundamentals, the more about connecting with yourself and being honest about how you are as a person when you roll than, than the intricacies of a competitive move to pass the guard. Not because I downplay that or I, I'm not interested. I, I watch those competitions and I watch those people compete and I'm in awe of their athleticism and their technique, but it's just at 51, not my thing. Um, my thing is what I just mentioned. And what's interesting is that even if people are solely interested in only competitive jits, when you sit down and talk about the more, as you call it, maybe nuanced aspects or maybe the deeper, more philosophical aspects of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I haven't met anyone that has turned off. Everyone finds that fascinating. Regardless of if they're on a competitive path or not, they still sit there and go, wow, you know, that's that's really cool. I've never thought about jujitsu like that before, but that's the way you've explained it. It's really created a new concept in my mind. And I think if someone can walk out of a class, forget about the technique, forget, forget about, oh, you know, I, I now know that I should be looking at the ear and it should be 45 degrees and there should be this underhook when, and, and all of these things. Yeah, forget all of that. If someone can walk out of the class and go, you know what, I just... I've got a new perspective. That class has given me a different perspective on what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is and what I can do with it. It's like I'm giving someone um, some plasticine and I've given them a new opportunity to mold something that they never thought they could mold. And And for me, that would be an important part of how you would gauge that you are a good coach or not. Can you give someone the opportunity to just maybe look at things differently? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's, I think we all share that, like you said, I mean, irrespective of what people are ultimately going to use it for, right? Maybe they're going to go into competition, whatever that may be. But we all want to grow as human beings and we all seek meaning. In that sense, I think if we're going to invest any amount of time into any endeavor, we're going to hope that in some way that that's going to show up in our life in a positive way. So I think everybody shares that when we get to the bottom of it, right? The, as you noted, the, I guess the sharing part stops when you have that kind of ego thing going on and then nobody wants to listen. And of course, what they want is they want an answer that's going to be an answer that's on that level of testosterone, right? And so like, I think your idea of kind of sitting back, sitting in a circle, kind of in community, right, where we talk about our experiences, that's where the most profound shifts happen. And that's what I've seen in all my years of coaching. The most profound shifts are after the class, it's after the session, when everybody's sitting around and they're just having a chat and they're talking about the experience. With that said, though, I do think it's important too, and I think for the coach's standpoint, this is more for the coach, is that you need to kind of ultimately decide what your intention is and what you want the experience to be, not only for yourself, but everybody else. And that's a personal choice. And of course, that's not going to be something that everybody's going to gravitate towards. But I do think it's really important that when you're teaching, that the people on the mat are the people that you are on the same wavelength with, right? Um, And so my personal decision was, and something that I've really moved myself towards is that I only want to be on the mat is if it's making me happy, right, fulfilled, and I don't want to be in a hyper-competitive environment. That's my choice. That's my decision. Now, of course, by doing that and expressing that, I'm going to get a different kind of student. 
I may not get the hyper-competitive students because what I say doesn't necessarily immediately speak to them, right? And they're looking for something completely different. But I have to do that in order for myself to be happy with myself as a coach. And for far too long, I felt like I didn't do that. Like, you know, I tried to make everybody happy on the mat, even though it wasn't making me happy. And that's a mistake because then I can't be the best coach that I can be. So I really feel where I am now is the perfect place for me to be. And it's taken a long time for me to settle into that and just have the maturity and the ability to say to somebody, you know what, I don't think I'm the right coach for you. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I think you need somebody else. The direction you're going in is not the direction I am. And there's nothing, there's not, like I said, there's nothing wrong with saying that, but that does build a different experience. My intention for being on the mat needs to be congruent with the people that are on the mat with me too. Otherwise, I'm not going to have a good experience because I'm not in the place I want to be. And if I'm not having a good experience, then I'm not going to be the best coach that I can be as well. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, we're coming from two very different perspectives as well, just purely based on our, our years of experience between us. So you're, you're coming at teaching someone from the highest level as a fourth degree with a, with a world reputation. And I'm coming from it as a purple belt in the middle of the jungle in Thailand, where pretty much no one's ever heard of me. So there's, there's two different perspectives here, right? Where people come to see you, there is a huge expectation that you will be able to answer absolutely everything. Whereas I'm relatively lucky because people will appreciate that there are more things that I don't know than I do know. But if I can impart what you've imparted in so far as the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu, which still to this day, everyone talks about it when they come to Tree Roots Retreat and and we roll uh, the framing and all the other millions of things that we've spoken about and I've picked up from you rolling. Uh, Most people are hearing these things for the first time. They have a basic understanding of, of the importance of frames, but their experience seems to be, for the most part, just based on learning submissions. And all they do is just throw submissions at me. But there's nothing behind the submission. It's kind of like a watery, there's no substance behind it because the fundamentals seem to be missing. I seem to notice that quite a lot from from some people. Um, And when you talk about these things and, and how important it is to position your body and use the floor to increase your strength or to increase kinetic energy by pushing off the floor or work, keeping your ass off the floor or keeping your hips off the floor, all of these things. Yeah. That that's what I get the greatest enjoyment from is showing somebody something that I think is so basic and they walk away with a big smile on their face. That, that's a great feeling, right? That it kind of empowers you. I think what you say is really important here too, is that, you are not commercially invested in teaching. For you, it's a fun thing, right? So it doesn't really matter if one person pitches up for your session or 50. At the end of the day, it's not going to shift your, your, uh, your income one way or the other. So that's, I think, puts you in a very unique position. Unfortunately, for those people that have to teach, they feel like they have to accommodate what people want. And what people want 
unfortunately, is masses of techniques and they want to learn all the submissions and they want to learn how to finish as quickly as possible. They want to kind of drive through McDonald's experience of martial arts. Otherwise, they get bored and then they're on to the next thing, right? And when you're running an academy, it's really, really hard because you're trying to keep everybody happy, but at the same time, you know you've got to pay bills. And so you start making decisions in the way that you teach. It's probably not the best for your students or for yourself. And I've seen that, and I know that. I mean, just from personal experience, right? Because they, unfortunately, there are very few people that are willing to put the time and the effort into mastering anything these days, especially in a, you know, press of a button, I get anything I want um, environment that we live in, right? Because it is literally like a, a take a takeout, right? It's like a drive-through. You can get anything you want to just write a, a you know, click of a button. And so it's, we, we're in this kind of situation where people have forgotten what it is to master a skill and people don't want to put that time and that effort in what requires. I mean, speak to anybody that runs a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy, Ask them when are the times where people quit the most? Like when do they have the most students quitting? And they will tell you at Blue Belt, which is kind of interesting, right? So you had the student who came in with nothing, spent a year and a half to two years going through massive amounts of training and frustration and just you name it, but stuck at it, stuck at it, kept coming, kept coming. Get the Blue Belt. It's like they've been working towards it. Got the Blue Belt a couple of months in, they're gone. Why? Because the realization is this thing isn't going to get easier. It's probably going to get harder, if not necessarily physically, but definitely mentally. And there are no shortcuts. And you start realizing that as a blue belt, that actually to be really good at this game, you're going to have to be in it for the long haul. That's why very few ultimately people that begin ever become a black belt. And that's, that's the reason why. Right. And so yeah, you're in a unique position because, as I noted, you don't have to worry about it paying your bills. But once you have to have it as paying your bills, it's a problem. And I've seen that myself, to be honest, is that I've put myself in a place where I don't want to be that kind of drive-through kind of McDonald's experience. But then I don't get the amounts of people coming to me that would come to those kinds of, you know, academies because I'm not prepared to give them the the, the, the quick answer, you know, and you've seen that yourself, right? I mean, just being on the mat when I've been there with a couple of the people that, you know, that, that train with you, the frustration when they don't get that immediate answer. And, and that's the thing, right? And I tell them, I said, even if I told you the immediate answer, you're still not going to get it right because you need the flight time. You need to be putting the time on the mat. You need to go through the ups and downs. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride. You know, some, sometimes you're up, but a lot of times you're down. And it's really what you do on the down and how consistent you can be on the down that's going to equal success. You know, not just only coming in when you're having a great experience. Actually, the times when you learn the most is when things aren't working. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd take my hat off to everyone that's running an academy because I totally agree with you that if I was depending on my bills being paid and my children's education being paid by the amount of students who are coming through my door then there is no way that I would have the same approach at all and I and and I and I look at other academies and I and I see how tough it is for those guys to pay the bills the rent of the gym pay staff, pay the salary, pay for their children, pay for life. 
um, sure, you need to keep people interested. And unfortunately, that's by dangling the dazzly submissions. So I don't have a problem with people doing that. I, I would do exactly the same. <laughs> but I mean, let's, let's, let's kind of just shift gears a little bit and talk about like, how would you create an environment, you know, if, if all, all, if all the stars aligned, right. And you could do it any way you wanted to, and you didn't have to worry about the bottom line and so forth. Like how would we create an environment where there would be this positive learning experience and people would get the most out of it? I mean, I've got an idea on that and it's kind of my approach and I've kind of conceded and got to the point where I'm happy with the fact that I'm never going to have this, you know, huge following with millions of people wanting to learn from me because I'm not going to give the quick fixes. But for those people that come down, I do feel that they have an experience that they probably wouldn't find anywhere else. And the way that I describe that is that I want to instill challenge play. And what I mean by that is I want people to have an experience on the mat where it is playful. It's personally challenging, but the concern of measuring myself against somebody else is no longer, it no longer comes into the equation. Now that of course is very difficult for a lot of people and it takes time to foster that. So there's that flight time that you need, you know, you have to leave like, uh, you know, my coach Higgin Machado always says, you have to leave your ego at the door. If you're going to experience anything like that, you have to be mature enough to understand that there are going to be lots of downs and sometimes ups, and you're going to have to be happy with that. But the way that I describe it is like, if anybody comes to me and they go like, what's the one thing you want to see me do or be able to achieve through my jujitsu experience. We're just talking about purely the jujitsu game. And we're not talking about it going beyond that into life. I would say, I want to see that you are able to adapt. I want to see that you have that ability to have adaptability in your game. Right. So that, regardless of what somebody throws at you, you're able to work out, you know, work out what you need to do, right? So that you can work the problem out, you can problem solve. And, but the way that that is done isn't the way that it's going to be done how most people think, right? Because most people think that in order to get to that point, the process of learning is as we've been describing, you've got to learn a whole bunch of techniques and the more techniques you have, then you should be better, right? But that isn't the case. But in, in actual fact, there's a process if you run it backwards, like you reverse engineer it. Let's say adaptability is right at the top. What comes in just under adaptability is this idea of innovation. And innovation is exactly that. It's that ability to problem solve in the moment. It's able to come up with a solution, even if hypothetically you weren't specifically taught an exact sequence on how to solve that which is often the case in jiu-jitsu. That's the frustrating thing for people is that there isn't always a neatly step-by-step process to deal with a specific situation because there's so many variables, right? The person's size, their athleticism, uh, and so on and so on. Your athleticism, your ability to learn the game, your physicality, and we can go on and on and on, right? And so innovation is this idea of being able to solve the problem in the moment. And the only way that you can be innovative is that you need to be creative, Right. So creativity is having that ability to spring forth all these different possibilities and merge them into one place that become the innovative solution, which then leads to adaptability. And the only way that you could be creative is that you have to be prepared to fail, to mess up, to make a mistake. Right. So there's this inherent risk aspect to it, because if you're not willing to take risk, which ultimately means fail or the possibility of failing, you will never be creative and you will never be innovative and you will never be adaptable. 
And the only way that you can get people to that place where they're going to put themselves in a place where they are willing to take a risk is that the pay payment or the payback for taking that risk mustn't be so high that they are unable to continue to play the game. So what do I mean by that, right? Injuries. If I come into an experience and there are a bunch of guys on the floor and they go a million miles an hour and they're just smashing through everybody and I see that experience as a new student, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm not going to try anything. I'm not going to take any risk. I'm going to basically close in and just try to survive. And that's fine. So you learn how to survive, but you never learn how to live. You never learn how to live the game, like play the game, right? And so that experience becomes something that is not a positive experience for you. If you have people that are slamming on submissions and hurting people and you can see that, then you are never going to try anything because you're too scared to, you, that you're going to get hurt. It's the same as in stand-up, right? Is that every time I stepped on the mat, the consequence of stepping on the mat is, is a very high likelihood of being knocked out, why would anybody want to take any risk? They're going to be too scared to fail, right? But then that holds them back. Then once that happens is there is then never, ever any creativity. And once there's no creativity, because creativity is trying different things to see what happens, right? It's just kind of putting it out there, playing the game. Whatever happens, happens. And if you know that if you do something and it's creative and it doesn't work, but there's no real consequence, you're not going to get hurt, you're not going to get chastised by everybody else. Nobody cares. You're not going to, you know, it's not like people are now going to give you shit for trying something because you look like an idiot and you've got this kind of whole ego thing going in or worried about self-esteem issues and all that. Then, then if you don't have all of that stuff, then you're going to try anything. But if all you're worried about is what's, what's going to happen to you and what other people are going to say about you or just how they treat you because you tried something and didn't work and now you feel like a failure, you're not going to go any further. You're just going to stifle your ability to, to grow. So this is a, a, a way of approaching a challenge play that requires, as I noted, you need to be able to take risk without consequences that would now stop you from playing the game, which means there's a very strong likelihood you'll end up failing, and that's okay, because it's only through failure that you become creative. Sure. Well, if I, if I understand, if I've understood you correctly, you kind of got a triangle of core principles there right you've got innovation you've got creativity and you've got adaptability right that's kind of like the, the triangle right that's that's the way that it comes across but there's also a, another thing that I've discovered which I think maybe fits in, into that triangle or certainly feeds into those three core topics and that's authenticity because if you're not authentic to yourself and what you're hoping to achieve then I think a lot of those three things um, are difficult to come to fruition because, for example, you lie to yourself about who you really are or you lie to yourself about the real reasons why you're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or you lie to yourself about the injuries that you may have, be it ghost injuries or real injuries. So if you don't just sit down and be authentic, then I think it's quite difficult to be creative and to have adaptability and innovation because your baseline is that you're lying to yourself and you're coming to the mat with a version of yourself, which is not the real one. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Right. But then it, it, this again, this is the nuance, right? So one, I have to be authentic as a coach and set the stage 
for what I'm happy to have happen on the mat. The students on the mat have to be gelling with me. They have to see it in the same frame that I am, right? Otherwise, we can't have this experience, and that brings their authenticity to the mat. The problem is, is that, as you noted, people don't want to admit what's really going on. Like, why are you so aggressive on the mat? Why do you feel the need to go in and basically smash everybody on the mat? What is that really about? You know, of course, what most people will say, oh, I just want to get good, man. I just want to get better. But that's not really true, right? That's not the, that really the core of what's going on. And it may even be unconscious for, for that person. And a good skilled coach, if that person is open to it, which is, again, which will be needed, can bring that to the forefront. And what are the real underlying issues? And until you deal with those underlying issues, rather than this experience being a positive experience in your life, it's going to become a negative. And that's what a lot of people don't want to kind of discuss, especially in the martial arts world, especially in the modern martial arts world, and in things like reality-based self-defense, where it's so hyper-aggressive and it's kill, 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 kill. You know, I keep saying, well, do you realize that when you put students in that environment, even though you're claiming that it's for self-defense, self-preservation, and they need to be in that state in order to defend themselves against this, you know, would-be attacker that would attack them, you are rewiring them on, on the mat, right? Every experience, especially novel experiences, rewires the brain through neuroplasticity. And when your brain rewires, it changes who you are, right? And so then that moves into your life. So one of the things that I often say is that, and I'm not the only person to have said this, Plato said this too, you know, it's in the essence of play, but once you put somebody on the mat, see how they conduct themselves, without ever having a conversation with them, you can get a very good idea of where they're at emotionally, mentally, even spiritually. And that is not just the, the, the way they show up on the mat. It's not the only place that they show up like that. So they're showing up like that in life. And I think that's the decision that each person has to make, right? I mean, if I'm genuinely honest with myself, I was in that place and I didn't like the way that it made me feel. I felt that I needed to do that in order to be taken seriously for people to respect me. Obviously, after years of coaching, you know, decades in, I've completely overhauled and changed my direction. I've realized how ridiculous that was, and it was never going to get me to the place that I wanted to be. So when people say, well, Rodney, what is your intention for getting on the mat? I mean, outside of having fun and being with people that I really enjoy being around, I want to come off the mat less angry more calm, more focused, more centered, more at peace with myself. And so the experience has to match that, right? And so that's why I'm at that place now where I get on the mat and I say to people, listen very carefully, this is what the experience is about for me. So you need to honor what, why I'm doing it, right? I can honor why you're doing it, but the same is also true for myself. However, I have principles that I'm not willing to give up and that speaks to my authenticity and if you're going to come at me at a million miles an hour to smash me, I know it's not because you just want to get better. There's something negative that's driving that. And I don't want to be a part of that because the only way that I, there's only two ways to meet that energy. I can either meet it head to head, which is what I used to do and smash the living shit out of that person and basically give them an ass whipping, right? I don't feel any better about that experience. It's horrible. And it, just hangs on you for days, all right? And that person gains nothing out of that experience other than the fact that, you know, you were an ass and I showed you that you were an ass, right? 
or which is what I do now, which takes immense maturity. It took me a long time to get to this stage where I say, you know what? I don't want to roll with you. I don't want to roll with you. This is not the experience I want. So you can go roll with other people. I'm sure you can find other people that would be happy to be in this space with you and be in this, this kind of mental place, but I don't want to be because it's negative for me and I don't want to go there. I fought so hard through my life to get away from that, to stop being angry, to stop being pissed off with myself and the world because of my upbringing and where I came from and the experience I had in life. I don't want to go back there. That puts me back there. But that's what you did to me. That's, you said that to me in Singapore and I've said it many times and, and, I, and that's how I explain it to people. You, you need someone to just lay it out very clearly. Otherwise, you just don't get it. And you can. Well, tell people. I mean, because you mentioned it, and people are not going to know that story. So why don't you tell them the story? We've got a few minutes. Um, well, I, I suppose I, I thought, and we mentioned it in our first chat, right? That I thought the way to impress you was to try and show you the. Um, the, the biological father side of my DNA sequence, which is nothing to be proud of, but there, you know, there's, there's a, there's an anger there. There's a, 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 not a desire for violence. That sounds way too psychopathic, but um, you know, I don't shy away from it. So I thought that would be the way to gain respect. And when I was rolling as a bluebell, I thought, you know, the harder I smashed my way past your guard and, gave you as much weight as I could on top of it. And we were in Singapore and we borrowed some mats, right, from the Singapore Airlines uh, Sports Club. And uh, we rolled and I, and I thought I was doing really great. I think I was a two-stripe and desperate for my third stripe. And again, I thought the way to do that was to just go as tough as I could and show you that I had what it took to be a purple belt. And uh, in my in my stupid, naive little mind, I thought that I had a great role. I really did. I thought you were going to turn around and say, well, oh, yeah, Aaron, you know, you're really making progress. And you said the complete opposite. You, you said simply it was awful. It was a horrible experience for me. You were way too rough, way too, you know, aggressive. And if you want to continue rolling like that, then I don't want to roll with you anymore. And this is pretty heavy, right? So I went back to my room that night and sat in the corner with a little white hat on my head with D written on it, you know, like I was at school. But the point is, from that day on, everything changed. But it took you to say that. And that's where, again, I take my hat off to anyone that's running a commercial jujitsu school because you run the risk of losing students and, and that ultimately affects you really badly because you can't pay your bills. But again, we, we have a unique relationship where between us there is no mon monetary gain for either of us um, without the other one benefiting. If, if, if we do something together in business, right, we both make money. So you were able to say that to me because you weren't losing any money anyway, right? You, you, I believe that you said it from a good place because you wanted to have a relationship with me where we could roll together for a decade or two to come. But can everyone say that? I don't know. It's, it's interesting to look at the difference between being authentic when you have a commercial school and you need students and you know in your heart that you need to say something, but in saying something, you're going to lose you know, next term's payment for your kid.
how do you deal with that? It's a tough one. But if you wouldn't have said that, you could have carried on saying, oh, yeah, just take it a little bit easier. But I don't think the message would have come across. I mean, there have been other experiences that that I've done since then that we can talk about in another session, which have highlighted to me very clearly the problems and the issues of of that side of my personality. And I believe in being shown those sides of my personality that they have been locked away. No, not locked away. That's the wrong word. They've been dealt with. I know where they come from and I know where they lead, which is ultimately a place of ultra tox, toxic environment. And it just doesn't come out anymore. I just completely different person when I'm rolling now. And that's a combination of you saying that and deep experiences with nature. Absolutely. So there's, there's, you know, just talking about that. I mean, if I say, I mean, I've, I've told a lot of people that, right. Cause unfortunately that experience that you came to me with or the way that you were, you know, showing yourself is very common, unfortunately, because this is the thing a lot of people don't want to accept that what's really driving that is, is not positive. It's negative. They'll, they'll use all the, the kind of the, the, the standard responses, right? The standard things that they'll say is, oh, you know, I want to get better. You know, I'm training for competition, whatever that may be, but that's not really what's driving it. And it's very difficult to actually admit what actually it is. I would say if I took for every 10, pers- 10 people I had that conversation with, nine left and never spoke to me again, right? And that's just the way it is. And I've accepted that. And oftentimes they'll spin it back on me and they'll say, oh, the reason he doesn't want to train like that is because he's a chicken shit, right? Or he's a pussy or, or whatever. You know, it's just a matter of time before I was going to kick his ass and he didn't like it. And like, I can assure you I didn't think that. <laughs> like, okay, man, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat, right? Um, because I've been there and I've been on the other side where I've smashed the shit out of everybody, you know? And uh, I don't want to go back there. That's what I keep saying. And it did something for me that I didn't like and it put me in a place that, it wasn't who I was. And we talk about authenticity. And if I go back to Rodney at, you know, five, six years old, I wasn't that kind of person. You know, I, I had to become that person to survive. And then I brought that into my martial arts coaching and the way that I taught because I thought that was necessary. And again, nobody ever had the conversation with me to say, hey, Rodney, listen, there's another way to express yourself. In actual fact, people used it. And we've talked about that before. They use it to their own advantage right and then now that i'm not around them anymore now it, it it kind of the opposite now right so that flips back and then now they use it as, as ammunition right it's the kind of classical thing is that people only people remember when you were this but they don't want to even acknowledge that actually you, you know 20 years later people change right and they're not the same person they were in the early 20s and i'm not that person and i don't want to be that person and i don't want to have those experiences right yeah but it's not good for my bottom line <laughs> so that's bottom line but I'm, I'm okay with that i'm okay with that because you said it right you need to be authentic and i would be inauthentic if i didn't do that and I couldn't live with myself if I went down that road. I mean, I make this joke all the time, right? If tomorrow morning I made all my programs about reality-based self-defense, about eye gouging, fish hooking, kicking people in the nuts and all that kind of extreme perverted stuff, I would have more students and more people wanting to join my trainers program than I would know what to do with. But I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I wouldn't be able to, to live with myself. And that's the decision I've made. It might not be the best decision financially, but it's the best decision spiritually. And that's the most important thing. 
Well, it did. It definitely becomes more important the older you get because you do you do shift and your testosterone levels drop, and all of a sudden the thought of your own mortality comes closer and nearer, and you suddenly start to reassess what has been your contribution to this little play that you've been acting in, and uh, you. It, it has to be positive, otherwise you don't sleep well at night. So that's where that's where I've got to when I'm doing doing um, training. And only a few days ago, I got a message from one of the students that's been with me right from the beginning, and it, it was completely out of the blue. And he just sent me a message on Facebook and said, "I don't think I've ever really said thanks, but thanks for everything you do, and thanks for the explanation today. It really, really made sense, and I really appreciate it." And I thought, "There you go. That's it." That's that's it wasn't it wasn't about the way that I taught a triangle set up or anything like it was just a very generic thank you. And that's, I think, at the core of what it's all about. Right. I think that is the best payment for a coach. Right. To get those messages. And, you know, we don't get many of them. But when we do. Right. That's that's the thing that kind of lights me up and goes, okay, that's why I'm in this. And that's why I want to continue to do it. You know, when people actually the most important thing for me and the thing that inspires me the most is when I get one of those messages and they've talked about how it's changed their lives off the map, right. In a positive way. To me, that's really important. And I think you're right. You know, as you get older, you have that existential crisis and you place yourself to your end days, whatever that is. And you're on your deathbed and you look back, is it really going to matter who you beat, who you competed and won against and which medal you got and all that. None of that's going to be even relevant. What is going to be relevant, I think, is the legacy you leave behind. And that means, did you change any, some, did you change people's lives for the better? Did you make a difference? And I think to me, that is where I am, at least now in my life, is the most important thing. Like, did I make a difference? You know, when my boys, my sons think about me and, and, and there's going to be a funeral and there are going to be people there, how are people going to speak about me to them? Are they going to say, well, you know, your dad was the meanest motherfucker on the planet and he kicked everybody's ass and nobody could touch him. Is that really going to be inspiring for them? Or is it going to be, you know what, your dad was a complicated person. Right? He had his ups and downs. But at the end of the day. He what, meant well. He meant well. Well, he meant well. And what he gave to us on the mat really changed our lives for the better. And that's all I want to hear. That's all I want to hear. That's happy. And I, I could go on to the next journey the next chapter of my existence feeling that i've actually done something positive because i think you know like again not to get too all woo woo but i do think that's important right i think for each one of us we are here to make a difference whatever that may be and you know i happen to have chosen this path this is the path that spoke to me through martial arts and other things and you know nature and all the things we talk about that's what has spoken to me personally and that's where i feel i can make a difference you know, other people have found other avenues, but this is where I can make a difference. And it's, it's a beautiful place to make a difference because when we look at martial arts and we take it all the way back to the beginning of time, right? One of the things definitely on, on our ancestors' minds all the time was about survival, right? It was about keeping safe, keeping alive, protecting. Um, and so it's a very, it's encoded in our DNA all the way to the beginning of time. And so it's a very primal experience and that's why I think it has such a profound ability to change people's lives because it's so primal. It's one of our first drivers on this planet, that appropriation, right? And so 
no wonder it speaks to people when they allow it to, when they open themselves to it and they're able to just be accepting and be, be um, humble and vulnerable and just explore the full avenue of what we have to say about martial arts as a life performance vehicle. That's why it has such huge potential. That's why it can really make a huge difference in people's lives. But at the same time, if you don't approach it in that way, you're going to get a completely different experience, right? And so when I wasn't thinking the way that I'm thinking now, not approaching it the way that I am, I was in the in what I call the red road. And it wasn't a very positive experience. You know, rather than um, invoking the warrior archetype within myself, I was really just invoking the mercenary archetype, which is a negative way to, to, to be. And it, it, it didn't just stay on the mat, right? And so the way that I showed up on the mat was the way I was showing up in life. And that again comes back to what I said earlier. The way I show up on the mat now is the way I want to show up in life. And the, 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 the mat never lies, just like the body never lies. And how people show up on the mat is a window into their, into their soul. And I want people to, to, to feel a different experience with me, that it becomes a positive experience, and that we can be in com com community with each other and build each other up rather than break each other down. Here, here. Well said. Cool. I'll well, be on the hour, man. So that's episode two out the way and uh, we'll try and get another episode. out. I mean, our goal was, but you know, life takes over and there's all these other things happening and the COVID situation and whatever else, but at least try and get one out a month. And as always, we'd love some feedback. I uh, hope everybody shares this. Um, remember to check out Aaron's retreat, treerootsretreat.com. That's where we do all our training in the year, especially once this whole world normalizes all our retreats are happening there and all our training and you can get to train with Aaron and you can get to train with me and uh, hang out with some really cool, awesome people. Great. Well, thanks again, everybody for listening and see you in Thailand soon. Until the next episode, get out there and spread some crazy monkey magic. For more information on all things crazy monkey head over to the school of crazy monkey.com. 